All right, thanks, Aaron, for leading us in our songs. Quick quiz question. Where am I about to ask you to turn in your Bible to? James, good job. Turn to the book of James. We started a new sermon series going through the book of James last Sunday. You can see on the slide, we're calling it Mature Faith. Uh, We're not really going to go chapter by chapter like I normally would if I were preaching through a book in the Bible. We're going to go theme by theme. So there's a quick recap of some of the things that we talked about last week. And we will be in James chapter 1 today. To get you thinking in the direction of our text, of our study, I put this question on the screen and and I want to just dwell in it for just a moment. What brings you pure joy? What do you think of when you think of pure joy? Well, for me, I've had several days now to think about that question. And so one of the answers that I came up with is what brings me pure joy is one of the vacations that we've taken over the last five years while my kids are still young. Now, not every moment of those vacations were pure joy. Some of them were the opposite. But overall, the trip was pure joy, getting to get away from the pressures and demands of regular life, spend some quality time with my family to go on adventures and make memories and bond together and come back home and be able to look back at pictures and say, hey, remember when we did that? To me, that's pure joy. What do you consider pure joy? Some of you may think of Christmas time. Is anybody a Christmas lover in here? Anybody love? Okay, less in the second service than there were in the first service. But Christmas time is normally a time of pure joy for some people. You've got the Christmas lights and the Christmas trees and the songs, and we sing a song every year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? So Christmas may bring you pure joy. Maybe pure joy is just your hobbies. We have some people here that like to go hunting, fishing, golfing, playing sports. Maybe you're an artist and so you like painting or reading or whatever it may be. You probably have a hobby that you love. And when you get really in it, that's pure joy for you. Maybe pure joy is spending time with friends. For me, sometimes it's old friends, friends I grew up with, friends that I went to college with that I don't get to see very often And getting to spend some quality time with them and reminisce a little bit, that brings me pure joy. Those are some of the things that may make the top of our list, or at least make our list, when we think about what brings us pure joy. But I can probably go down the line and think of a few things that we wouldn't say when we ask this question, what brings you pure joy? You probably wouldn't say, is pure joy the time in our life where we had some financial struggles? When we struggled to pay for food, we had to ration what we were going to eat, and we couldn't afford to go on vacation. That that probably wouldn't make the top of the list or the list at all. You probably wouldn't say, it's pure joy every year Christmas time when I grieve the loss of a loved one, or I think about broken family relationships that we have in my own family, your family, whatever it may be, and, and Christmas or holidays remind you of that, or you just get a little depressed during those times. Those are not going to be the times that you consider pure joy. Uh, You probably wouldn't say it's pure joy when I had that surgery. And the recovery process took a lot longer than I was expecting, and it was very painful. Or that time that I had a mysterious illness, and I went to see a lot of different doctors, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and I was was just miserable. Is that pure joy? No, that probably wouldn't make the list. It probably wouldn't make the list if you said... Well, I used to have some close friends, but I feel betrayed. I feel like I've been lied to. I've lost trust from some friends. 
That's not what you consider pure joy. And for me, I would not say the year 2020 or 2021 was pure joy. COVID, pain, sickness, death, canceled events, and everybody was mad at each other. Everybody had their opinions on what should be done. And that bled into all churches, including our own. I do not look back over that time and say, pure joy. Right? I don't know anybody who does. But look at how James starts his letter. James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, that seems backwards. That seems to go against our natural instincts. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Who thinks like that? This is what you would call a paradox. And if you don't know what a paradox is or you need a refresher, here's a definition from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. A paradox is a statement that, seem, that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is perhaps true. So what James is saying here in verse 2, it's a paradox. It seems like it goes against common sense. Why would we consider these tough times, these hardships in life, pure joy? But we know because... We trust in the Bible, we believe that the, God's Word is authoritative, so we know there's a deeper truth in there somewhere. Jesus was the master at using paradoxical statements. When Jesus talked about life in His kingdom, He said, the first will be what? Anybody? The first will be last. If you want to be great, you need to become the least or become a servant. If you want to save your life, you need to do what? Okay, those are just some, save your life, you have to lose it for the recording in case you didn't hear that. Those are just some of the paradoxical statements that Jesus taught. He taught a lot more than that. James, who we believe, or at least I said this last week, is the half-brother of Jesus, that he teaches in a very Jesus-like fashion. But because Jesus taught with paradoxical teachings, James does as well, and that's how he starts this letter Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. But let me ask a few questions about the text first. What does James mean by pure joy? What is that? Well, it may give you some relief for me to say this, but joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is a, a feeling that's kind of fleeting and it goes up and down. So I used this example in the first service. I'll use it again. Uh, today was not one of those happy days for me. Uh, anybody that saw me walk into the building this morning, in fact, a few people told me, hey, breathe a little bit. I woke up at 5 a.m. and my, thir my throat was burning. So I took ibuprofen. So anybody that shook my hand so far today, used some hand sanitizer. I don't know what's going on there. And then, as I was getting ready to leave uh, the house this morning, we noticed that there was a, a stain, a hot sauce stain on my pants from going to Don Benito's three weeks ago. And I didn't want you to think that I didn't have bladder control and you wouldn't believe me that it was salsa. So I, I did a quick change of clothes and that's why I just threw on what I have and kind of did the youth minister look a little bit, maybe, yeah. Uh, so I just kind of had to do what I could. I come in here trying to get the PowerPoint going and I did not feel real happy. And the early service is just a, a way for morning people to shine. So they get here at 8 a.m. for some weird reason, and they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, just give me a minute. You know, I'm not, I'm not real happy today. Get out of my face right now. So joy is not the same thing as happiness, and it may be a relief to know that. James is not saying to put on a fake smile, turn that frown upside down. So what is joy? Well, we could define joy maybe a few different ways, but I'll give you an explanation of joy. 
If you've ever heard of the Bible Project, uh, if you haven't, you should look it up. You could YouTube it. And the Bible Project has several videos on there, including one on the book of James. So you could look at the book of James according to the Bible Project. But the way that they explain joy goes like this. I want to read it for you. So joy is an attitude that God's people adopt. Not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. And then they go on to say that joy, the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. Okay, that helps me some. That's a good explanation of biblical joy. It's not about our outer world or happy circumstances or this fleeting feeling of happiness that comes and goes like a roller coaster. It's about rooting this attitude in God's love, God's promise, and our future destiny. So that helps some when James says, consider it pure joy. It's not about faking happiness. And then he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Some translations say various trials. What does he mean by that? Well, as a student of the New Testament, which I'm sure a lot of you are, my first thought is persecution. You read through the book of Acts, you read through Paul's letters, Peter's letters, and even some history behind the book of Revelation or any church history, the early church was persecuted. They suffered greatly. They had property taken away from them. They were tortured. Some of them were. Some of them were thrown in prison. Some of them were killed because of their faith. They were heavily persecuted. So when James says trials, my first thought is, oh, he's talking about persecution. And we have trouble relating to that because even though some of us say that we're being persecuted as Christians, we don't experience near the danger that the early Christians experienced. But it gives me some relief to think James does not say consider it pure joy when you're persecuted for your faith. He says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, which I think was brilliant. James is guided by the Holy Spirit here. He makes it broad. He makes it generic. So trials of many kinds could be be several different things. I, I listed a few. It could be when you go through physical sickness or you go through some physical pain or maybe you have a thorn in your flesh. Like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It could be family problems, financial problems, disappointments, just difficult people in general. A lot of trials in our life are caused by tough relationships and difficult people. Uh, if you're reading the whole book of James, there were some rich oppressors that were not paying the workers their wages and were taking advantage of them. That could be some of the trials that James is referring to. We could go on and on. To be a human being means that you're going to struggle. You're going to face disappointments. You're going to face hardships, death, sickness. It's just how it is as human beings. But what James does here is brilliant because he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, various trials. So this applies to everybody. But why would we consider the tough times in life, the hardships, why would we consider it pure joy? Well, he goes on to give us a little bit of of an answer to that question in verse 3 and 4. He said, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, what really jumps out and grabs me, you know, the testing of your faith, that's, again, another way of saying these trials, the trials that we go through test our faith. It produces some perseverance. Some translations say endurance. But at the beginning of verse 4, it says, let perseverance finish its work. 
And that's a powerful word. That's a tough word. Let perseverance finish its work. This is hard for all of us. Because when we're going through something difficult, when we're going through something painful, we just look for an escape. We look for a way out. We look to run from it or to numb our pain or just indulge in whatever our appetites tell us to try to make the pain go away. But James says, no, let perseverance finish its work. Earlier this year, like early January, I was listening to this sermon by a guy named Wayne Cordero. I've actually shared this before. I shared this back in February when we were studying the Gospel of Luke. But at the beginning of his sermon, he said something just kind of casually and moved on. He said, we all know it's a lot easier to start something than it is to finish. And then he moved on with his sermon. But that quote, it grabbed a hold of me, and it's been something I've been dwelling on all year. It's been really challenging to me. It's a lot easier to start something. You can get real excited about something. It's a lot more difficult to finish what you started. Because when you get a little pushback, you get a little resistance, it's difficult dealing with people, it's easy to just cut and run. But James says, let perseverance finish its work. Now that goes against our nature. We don't want that to happen. We want to escape the pain. Let perseverance finish its work. But the goal is not perseverance. He goes on to say in verse 4, the goal is so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We titled this sermon series, Mature Faith. And last week, I I spent a lot more time on this word mature, the Greek word teleos, and, and what that means and how the whole theme of the book of James is about growing into maturity. So that's one of the goals of persevering through the trials is because it leads you to maturity or gives you the opportunity to mature. Now, if you're looking at chapter 1, if you have your Bible out, uh, the next few verses are about wisdom, praying for wisdom, and and not being double-minded or double-souled and doubting that. And then he talks about these rich oppressors. And I told you, James has several themes that he introduces, and so we're going theme by theme. So we'll skip over Uh, verse 5 through 11, we'll come back to that later on in the sermon series and we'll go down to verse 12 because he comes back to this theme of trials. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. What's the first word in verse 12? Blessed. This reminds me again of Jesus. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, How does Jesus start that very famous sermon? Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives us these beatitudes, and again, in Jesus-like fashion, James gives us a beatitude. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, you will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. And one of the goals of persevering through trials and so that we can grow into maturity. But he goes on to tell us here in verse 12 that ultimately the goal is this crown of life. Remember that explanation of joy. The Bible project tells us that joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. The crown of life. You know, then we know that there's this end goal for us. So we just read four verses, verse 2 through 4, and then verse 12. And there's a lot going on there. A lot of what I've read and studied over the last several weeks, I've, people who are just being honest have said, I kind of wish this wasn't in the Bible. 
because we can explain it all we want. It's still a really tough teaching. I want to share with you three of my own observations from this text. And maybe you can write down, go back and read the text throughout the week and just kind of think on it, dwell on it, pray over it. These are my observations. It's not a comprehensive list. It's just a Kickstarter. So here's my first observation of what we just read. No resistance equals no growth. I'm going to use weightlifting as an example. Any weightlifters in here? Okay. Less weightlifters than Christmas lovers. So, okay. Uh, you don't like Christmas or you don't like to lift weights. But if you did or you used to, you need some resistance. If your goal is to get bigger or stronger or just in better shape, it's not going to happen unless you have some resistance. And you have to slowly increase that resistance. Too much comfort and we don't grow. The same works with life or with faith. If we never experience trials, hardships, or resistance, then we're probably never going to grow in our faith. I'll use this example. I read it in a, a book a few years ago about amoebas. Uh, Berkeley University did this study on amoebas where they were doing different experiments about the life of amoebas, and one of the experiments was they exposed them to a completely stress-free environment. And guess what happened to them? They all died. And the conclusion of the study was that we need some kind of resistance. We need some kind of stress to a certain level, trials, hardships, whatever, because we can we can grow from that. We could also potentially thrive from that. So we need some resistance. That's how our faith grows. Now, how much resistance can we handle? Now, that's a different question. Maybe that's more of a theological discussion. About 18 years ago, when I was getting into weightlifting, I kept trying to increase the resistance, but I was doing that too quickly, too much. And one day I was doing bench press, and I tore my tendon on my right elbow. I eventually had surgery. And uh, it's been messed up ever since. We have this statement that we use sometimes where we say, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Have you ever heard that or used that yourself? I would disagree with that. Well, I would say whatever doesn't kill you could cause permanent damage, and that's what happened in my case. So how much can, we, can our faith handle when it comes to resistance? Like how, how intense can the trials be? How often... Can we go through a trial and remain faithful and still grow from it? I don't really know. I'm going to trust that God knows on that. There's an often quoted passage from one of Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 where Paul writes, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. All right, I'm going to trust in God with how much we can handle. Maybe it's on an individual basis. But just a basic truth of what James is teaching here in chapter 1 is without resistance, you won't grow. But my second observation is that maturity is not an automatic promise. So you go through a trial, you survive it, you're still alive. Does that mean, okay, now you're a mature Christian? But I would argue, no, I don't think that's what James is saying. It's very possible, and I've been guilty of this as well, to go through a difficult season in life or a trial, various trial, minor, major, whatever you want to call it, and come out on the other side bitter and feeling sorry for ourselves. But just because you survive a trial does not automatically make you mature. It's about how you go through that trial. Trusting that God is doing something in you through a trial and that when you come out on the other side, as you trust in God, you will be a more mature person. 
It depends on how you handle it, how you go through it, and how you view that trial. And so I'll come back to this COVID example that I used at the beginning. I don't consider 2020 or 2021 pure joy. But that was a trial that the entire world went through, our nation went through, and every church, every minister that I know, every church member went through that trial together. But my thought is, maybe we're not fully out of it yet, but are we more mature because of it? So we sent that letter out, and, and you know James kind of summarized it. I sent it out Thursday night, stressed over it all day. I was more of just an editor. But I summarized it in some questions. Are we going to hire a new worship minister? What are we going to do with second service? The first question was, where is the Lord leading us? Truthfully, though, not many people have asked me that question. Most of the time, it's about our personal preference. So, I threw that question in because I'm asking it. And I would like for you to ask it as well. Where is the Lord leading us? Before we jump straight to our personal preferences, where is God leading us? Look, maturity is not an automatic process. We could go through that big trial and come out more immature on the other side. So how do you handle it? How do you go through the process? Resistance is good for us. It can help us grow. But maturity is not an automatic promise. And then my third observation is just look for the silver lining. When you're going through a storm, often all we see is the storm. I mean, that's just the case. It's hard when you're right right in the middle of something, but you can look for the silver lining. Usually there's something there that you could say, okay, I'm seeing a little glimpse of how God is working. For me as a preacher, a lot of times the silver lining is when something bad happens to me or something painful or something weird, I can at least say, hey, I can use that in a sermon at some point. You don't have that luxury, but I do. If something bad happens, painful, whatever. Okay, I first started thinking like that when we lived in Africa about 11 years ago. I've told different stories at different times about different uh, scooter wrecks that we had. One involved a street kid we were ministering to. He broke his leg. He had some neighborhood men who were yanking on his broken leg and torturing him. I had to get physical and push him off. We had another time where Jessica and I had a scooter wreck. She was pregnant. It was a big, scary event. Everything wound up being okay on both of those stories. But what I noticed was I would go home at night, and even if I was shook up, I would write those stories down. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm definitely using this at a sermon at some point. And that's not to exploit the story, but that's because when we go through something and we share it with others, oftentimes it's helpful to other people because maybe they can relate to it or they've been through something similar. So maybe a silver lining... A pure source of pure joy when you go through a trial is it increases empathy for others. When you've been through something and somebody else is going through the same or a similar trial, you can have some empathy and it can connect you with that person. Because you have experience, God may use you to minister to certain people and you can minister out of credibility because, hey, you've been through it. And it keeps you humble. We have a tendency as human beings to become very prideful, very arrogant. And in one way, you just look at trials and it's like, hey, God uses trials to keep us humble. To not try and rely on our own strength, but to rely on God's strength. There's a silver lining for you. Maybe you could list a few others. But I look at this really difficult text that James gives us, this paradox of these trials. 
And at least we know, okay, resistance helps us grow. Maturity is not an automatic process. It's how we go through that trial. But there's always a silver lining that we could see. It's the paradox of trials. It's a difficult way to start a letter. But it, James starts this letter in a very Jesus-like fashion. And I, as I preach through this and you know, even talk to a few people after the first service, I realize that this is difficult not just because it's tough to understand, but it's difficult because some of you may be going through your own trial right now. You might consider it a minor trial because maybe just you and God know about it, you haven't shared it with anybody else, or it could be a major trial, some life-altering thing that's going on in your life. So if you're struggling with a trial right now, a part of this invitation is we're here to help you, we're here to, to pray with you. And I want to end it by reading what James says later in his letter, in chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Somebody, somebody mentioned to me after the first service, I really thought you were going to bring the hammer at the end. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that, but I am going to read Scripture at the end. And we'll let God manage how we hear this. But in James chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, he says, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So I guess the solution James gives us, step one, to if you're going through a trial, is to spend some time praying, maybe being prayed for, have the elders pray over you. And if we can help you in that at all today, just remember, if you're going through a trial, you're not alone. Come find one of us. I'm available to you. Our shepherds are available to you. Stand back up. Let's keep singing. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my